Well, good morning, everybody. So a special welcome to any of you who might be new visiting us this weekend. So welcome to Portico Church. And if you are new here, regardless of what your spiritual background is, so whether you've never set foot in a church building before, if you're highly skeptical of the Christian faith, or if you've been following Jesus for a long time, uh, this is a warm space for you to come and see what it means to follow Jesus and then to do it with a community alongside you. So if you don't know me, my name is Steve. So I am one of the pastors here, although I'm not here very often because I lead the Clarendon campus that meets on Sunday evenings. And I think Pastor Jason mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but next month in October on the 20th, we are actually sailing off as our own church. Yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's amazing to see what God's done uh, through, through you guys, through the people in our church body. So we'll be called Doxology Church. We'll be moving locations from our current space in the Portico office to a church building called Christ Church of Arlington. So still right off the metro line. Uh, it's a Presbyterian church. They'll meet in the mornings, and then we'll meet there on Sunday evenings. And so it's just such a joy to do this uh, with you all being such close partners with us. And I know, you know, the elder team and our church plan on continuing to be partners as we move forward. So really excited for that. And it's always great when I get to come back here because I feel more and more like a guest pastor or a guest preacher. There's so many new faces, and that's awesome to see. So welcome if you are new. Uh, So today we are finishing Philippians. So go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 4, verses 14 to 23. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the back, and please keep it. That'll be our gift to you. And just as a little bit of forecasting, so starting next week, you all are going to be starting the book of Ruth. So you can read that this week. It's a short book and prepare for this up next Sunday. Sorry, Jason, if I wasn't supposed to spill the beans, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so read Ruth this week. Um, so go ahead and just follow along with me. Uh, we're finishing Philippians today, and uh, I'll read for us, and then we'll, we'll jump in. <clears throat> So beginning in verse 14, chapter 4. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. So as Paul finishes this letter to the Philippians, he he brings up the subject of money. And so maybe some of you are sitting here and you hear that and you go, oh shoot, why didn't I travel with the other 70% of the congregation this weekend on Labor Day weekend? (laughs) Um, But one of the things that I love about the Bible is God in his word, he doesn't shy away from speaking about very earthy, concrete things that matter. And so that's why he addresses money in his word over and over again. And so here's how I want us to enter into the subject of uh, giving generously of our finances, as, as Paul is commending the Philippians for doing. So whether you realize it or not, there, there's a lot of pressure in our current cultural moment for you to live an extraordinary life. So you go on your social media feeds, right, and you see people like 
entering into these dazzling dating relationships or taking these awesome trips or, you know, picture of them with their first home or, or their babies. And I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong to post those things, but if those things aren't happening in your life or if one of those things aren't happening in your life and you go and you're just looking through things online, it's easy to start thinking, hmm, I'm not living a life like that. Like, my life doesn't feel that full. Or you're, you're in your job and you're wondering, am I making an impact with what I'm doing? Am I following God's will for my life? And so here's what the Apostle Paul is saying in today's text. He says, one of the most surefire ways to live an extraordinary life and ensure that you're following God's will is to do the very basic things that God has clearly called you to do. And when you do that, one of those things being giving extraordinary amounts of your money to others, God will use that to bring life to other real souls, and you'll invest in eternity. Okay, so that's one of the most surefire ways to live a, a powerful, full life, is to do the very basic things that God's called you to do, and he does extraordinary things through it. And so think about that as we walk through today's text. And so Paul's going to lay out three, three principles about giving generously in today's passage. So first, he's going to show us the pattern of generosity. Second, he's going to show us the investment of generosity. And then number three, he'll show us the security that comes with generosity. So first, he'll show us the pattern of generosity. So what, what shape does it take in your life? Second, he'll show us the investment of generosity. And then number three, he'll show us the security that comes with giving generously. Okay, so first, number one, the, the pattern of generosity. So you see in verses 15 and 16, what Paul says, he says, you know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no other church entered into partnership with me except you only. And then in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs again and again. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, he's saying the Philippians rock. Why do they rock? Because they gave in the beginning when nobody else did, and they've continued to partner with him when other people have dropped out. And even now when he sits here in prison and he's alone, they've still remembered him. And so if any of you have had cancer or if you know somebody who has cancer, one of the things they'll tell you is, you know, you know one of the hardest things about cancer is they'll say, in the first two to three months, everyone's there. You know, when the news breaks, everyone's there. They're, they're flooding your hotel room. You get gifts, you get texts, you get calls. But in the 4 to 12 month, 12, four to 12 month mark, and especially beyond, most people forget about you. And it's just you and maybe your closest family members. That's really hard. And what Paul is saying is, thank you, Philippians, for not forgetting about me. Even as I sit here in prison, thank you for ensuring that I know I'm not alone. You've brought real life to me. And then you see what he, he calls the Philippians' gift. So he calls it a fragrant offering. See in verse 18, he says, I received the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So there's only one other place Paul uses that term, fragrant offering, and you know what it's for? It's in Ephesians 5, and he uses it to talk about Christ's sacrifice. He talks about Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And that's what he's comparing the Philippians' gift to. Now, Christ's death is unique, of course, because it, it brings salvation to us. However, here, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying Christ's pattern of generosity for those who are in union with him are, become your pattern of generosity. 
So think about what did, how much did Christ give? He gave until it hurt. He gave until it cost him everything. So Jesus went down. He lost it all. He, he died to bring life to other people. So Paul says, now, if you are in union with, with the once dead, now resurrected and exalted, exalted Jesus, your pattern of generosity, your pattern of life for other people must also be going down to bring other people up because that's how it works in God's economy. And so here, here's the thing, guys. One of the things that I've noticed with many believers in the church, and I'm still learning this myself, but consider, have you moved from Christ's death for me to my death for others? Like, have you moved from Jesus, yes, he died for me to save me, but have you moved from that to now my pattern of life is dying to self to bring life to other people? And everything about our current cultural moment makes it very hard to do that. I mean, in a culture that says not just be yourself, but celebrate yourself all the time, that leaves no room for giving to others if it costs you. Because the message is, yes, love people, but if it causes you pain, back away. But that's not how it works in Jesus' economy. Because all love, real love, is substitutionary sacrifice. My life for yours. That's how it works, because it's who God is. And so two examples of this, um, to make it very concrete about things that, are, that have happened very recently. So the first is what's going on right now. So our, our church, Stoxology, is setting off on its own in October. And guys, it's, it's been incredible to see what God's been doing. So even just a week and a half ago, we celebrated two baptisms. Uh, two guys who said, I, I wouldn't have grown in the way I have or understood what Christ did for me if it hadn't been for this church. And then over the past three weeks alone, I've had two different conversations with two other people who are both coming to faith. One of them told me I, I never saw how central Jesus was to everything, and now it's like the lights are turning on for the first time. And then another girl recently told me, she said, she said this church has, and the people in it have saved my life. And then she told me more of her story, and she wasn't exaggerating. And the reason why these shifts in eternity have taken place is because many of you in this church give generously to this church, and then some of you support our church directly. And, I mean, like it or not, ministry does need money to run. And Portico, so Portico, the corporate entity of Portico, is our most uh, generous supporter. And that's because of you all giving generously to the funds of Portico. They're able to support our church. And our, our church would not exist. It, it, it wouldn't if it weren't for Portico. But because there are a number of people in here giving up themselves, it's bringing life to other people. That's the pattern of generosity. And an example from my own personal life, so this was uh, three, four years ago when I was transitioning into full-time ministry, and so I had to leave my job and raise funds, and my wife, Kelsey, she couldn't work, and we went through a number of months where we were, I mean, we were over $3,000 a month short of what we needed for basic living expenses, for medical things we were going through, and it's around Christmas time, and I'm just throwing a pity party for myself because I can't get the gifts I want for people, and I'm just thinking, God, what, you know, what are you doing? Have I made a horrible decision? And so I go to this Christmas party, and I had a pastor friend there who was there. He was in town, and he saw me. And so we're just hanging out talking. And then I, you know, I say my goodbyes, and I go to leave, and he says, Hey, Steve, let me walk you to your car. And so we walk outside on this chilly December evening, and as we walk to my car, he says, Come over, come over to my vehicle for a second. 
And so we walk over to his car, and he pulls out an envelope. And he says, earlier this morning, before I came into town, one of the members of my church gave me this envelope. It's filled with cash. And what he told me was, you know, Pastor so-and-so, uh, you've done a lot to serve our, our flock over this past year. I know you don't get a Christmas bonus as a pastor, so I want to give this to you. So he gave it to my friend, and my friend looks at me and he says, I want you to have this. He says, I don't know exactly what your situation is, but I imagine it's a hard transition because I know what it's like to head into full-time ministry, and I'm not going to take no for an answer. And he gave it to me, and I mean, what was in that envelope, it literally brought life to us that month. We could get groceries, it helped us pay rent. And this man, he was not well-to-do, he had a child, a spouse, but he gave up his comfort and security to offer comfort and security to others. And that continued, it's changed how I give now. It, it brought me to a new level of, of trust in my Savior than I ever had before. Why? Because love, real love, is substitutionary sacrifice. My life for yours. That's how it works in God's economy. And so here's an application for y'all. And this is, it's hard hitting, it's like smelling salts, but how do you know that you know the Savior? Because we like to make faith abstract. So yeah, I have faith in God. Don't question my heart. God knows my heart. And yeah, God knows, does know your heart. But he knows your heart better than you do. And what he says in his word is, where you know your heart is, is where do you put your money? Do you give so sacrificially so that it costs you? It costs you what you can put into savings. It costs you the type of home you can live in. It costs you what you can put in retirement. That's how you know the Savior. It's not how you're saved. That's through Christ and Christ alone. But has that really penetrated deep into your heart? Okay, so that's number one, that the pattern of generosity is entering into dying so that others can live just as Jesus first died so that you can live. Because that's how generosity and love works, substitutionary sacrifice. Okay, so number two, the investment of generosity. The investment of generosity. So Paul says something pretty interesting in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So what Paul is saying is, you know why I'm so happy? I'm not necessarily happy because you gave me a great gift, although yes, I needed that, and it's helping me. But what gives me more joy is the fact that you all are actually acting out of what you believe, so you're acting like Christians, right? Because of your generosity, I see that Christ's death and resurrection has taken root in your own life. But then see what he says when he says, um, I I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What he's saying there, so that's a financial term he's using, And what he's saying is what you lost in giving to me, God added to your eternal kingdom. So there's a real investment that takes place with the return. And this makes us uncomfortable to talk about because we're saved by what? Trust in Christ and Christ alone. Yes, not by any of our works, only through what Jesus has done. But yet, I mean, Jesus talks about this, Paul's talking about it here there are real rewards for people who, who steward their time and their money well here on earth. And so to a degree, there will be 
greater accounts for those who have given sacrificially and generously, and smaller accounts for those who have been stingy and penny-pinching with their giving. And this is a guaranteed investment. So I know a number of you in here invest. That's a good thing. You care a lot about your ROI, right? your return on investment. This is the best return on investment you can ask for. And so here's an example. So one of my seminary teachers, his name is Paul, and he used to be in investment banking. Uh, this was around, like, around the year 2000, 2001. He said when he was an investment banker, he was, he was making a fair amount of money, and there was this one summer where he had saved up a bunch of cash, and his boss approaches him, and he goes, okay, listen, Paul, I know you're young, but I want you to listen to me. Don't spend all this money you're making. You need to invest it, and there's two companies I want you to invest in. So Paul goes, okay, what companies? He goes, the first one is Amazon. And Paul goes, Amazon? Who would name their company Amazon? <laughs> And he goes, what what does Amazon do? And his boss goes, well, they deliver books. He goes, oh, no, Barnes & Noble's already got the corner on that market. Nah. Okay, what's the other company you want me to invest in? He goes, oh, it's a company called Google. And he goes, no, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I'll I'll figure it out on my own. And he says, says, so he had over $10,000 in liquid cash he had to invest. And he says, if I had invested that money... In those companies, he goes, I probably wouldn't be teaching seminary, uh, right? No, he's, he's joking. But the point is, is maybe, I don't know. <laughs> That's what he says. Um, the point is, is who of you, if you, right, if, if you know the future, what is going to give you an, a massive return on your investment, you're, you're going to invest. And if you had the powers of flash, right, or if you had a time machine, you could go back in time. You would go back and invest money in companies that, that you knew would do well. And and here's the point. You know what is going to give you the greatest return on investment. God is no man or woman's debtor, and he's not going to be stingy with you. So whatever you invest now in eternity will be credited to your account. I mean, a billionfold. And not just to you. Just don't think about this in personal terms, but we're talking real eternal souls here, guys. I mean, as, as you give more generously to the church, to other gospel ministries, so that more people can hear about the good news of Jesus and be matured in their faith, those are more people who, rejoicing, who, be, who will be rejoicing eternally. That's an amazing investment. So just, here's the question. If God gave for you in Jesus, and he did, and if eternity is true, and it is, why not invest? Everything you put in will be credited to your account. This is the pattern of generosity. Paul's showing us the amazing joy we get from bringing life to others by dying to self, the investment of generosity, the, the eternal ripple effects it has. And then so finally, number three, let's look at what is the security we have in giving? Because one, one of the problems is, right, is one of the reasons why we don't give, so sometimes it's a status thing, yeah, I want to look a certain way, and that requires a certain amount of money, but often I think it's more security, so I, I can't put enough in savings or retirement or, or buy this home if I give more, right? And so you, you feel like you're a little bit at sea if you give so sacrificially that it costs you. But you see what Paul says in verse 18, he says, or sorry, verse 19, he says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So this is a staggering promise from God. So how, how 
big and wealthy as the infinite triune God. You, you can't even talk about it in ways that make sense, right? So what type of riches does God supply for you? So if I say, me, Steve, I'll provide for each of your needs according to my riches, you can see its puny parameters. But what about the, the massive triune God who says, I will supply and meet every need of yours according to my riches in glory in Christ Jesus? That's what he promises. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, the reason why many of you, why Jesus isn't real to you as much as other things, the reason why many of you haven't even begun, begun to plumb the depths of the joy and riches of knowing God is because you, you haven't given to the point where you're forced to throw yourself on his grace and provision. Because Paul's attaching this to their giving. Right? He's saying because you've given so sacrificially, God will meet every need and you will know his riches in a way that you couldn't have otherwise. This doesn't mean if you give a lot, God's going to all of a sudden give you a raise, but he will give you everything you need to be content in Christ and he will give you more than you've ever dreamed that you begin to taste now as you see more of God's provision for you and experience fully in glory. And so speaking personally, I'm still growing in this, but there was a time when God taught me this firsthand without me wanting him to. So some of you know this story. No, I don't think a number of you do. But so a, a number of years ago when Kelsey and I were in our first few years of marriage, we got thrown into a storm of medical issues and financial issues. And so we were both making a very low combined income. It was very hard to even provide for our basic needs and loans and whatnot. And then we get thrown into these uh, situations where we had to have a number of procedures, doctor's visits, surgeries that weren't covered by insurance. And so Kelsey looks at me as we're, you know, we're looking at the bills we have to pay and pay pretty quickly, and she goes, you know, we need to keep tithing. I go, mm, God will understand. And she goes, no, God's given us to us so generously in Christ, we can keep at least tithing, at least 10% and trusting he'll meet our needs because of what he's done for us. I'm like, okay, whatever. So we, we start walking through this, and the whole time I feel as if my body and my lungs are in this vice grip, where I just, there's just constant pressure. I'm like, how are we going to make it next month? And so we got through it a number of ways. A large part of it was through the church, uh, through the church providing for us through the Mercy Fund, through other people caring for us. Uh, but it was really tight. And then we, Kelsey has a surgery, and it looks like we're finally starting to see just the smallest circle of light at the end of the tunnel. And then one day I walk home, I return home from work in the evening, and I hear Kelsey sobbing in the kitchen. And I walk into the kitchen, I say, you know, honey, what's going on? And she just hands me a piece of paper. And this was a few months after one of the surgeries she had. And it was, a, it was an additional bill for over $20,000. And it said, you know, your insurance isn't covering it because blah, blah, blah. And I, I couldn't take it. So I finally, I just, I went outside, and I just looked at God, and I said, God, I cannot take this anymore. Do you even care? And over the next week, I, I get on the phone, I call the insurance to try to negotiate with them. I say, no, you know, because the fine print says X, Y, Z, we're not obligated to cover this. Call the hospital, they're like, no, you know, we can't give you any kind of deal, you have to, you have to pay this in full. And a few weeks go by, back and forth, and one day I call the hospital, and I'm just trying to work out like some form of payment plan. 
for the next few months. And the lady on the other end of the phone, she goes, so there's been a new development. And we realized that one of our administrative workers didn't categorize something correctly in the billing. And so this money is still owed. But the hospital is actually now liable for it because of this administrative error. And so you're in, the insurance company doesn't owe it. You don't owe it. The hospital has to absorb it. And I said, okay, wait, so, so how much do we owe? And she goes, you don't owe anything. Have a, have a good day, Mr. Reed. And I fell on the floor and wept. And the weeping was twofold. So first I wept because, yeah, it felt really good to have that debt lifted. But there was a deeper weeping of joy underneath the first layer. And it was because for the first time in my life, I began to understand when Paul writes in Colossians 2, 13 to 14, where he says, You who are dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with Christ. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing to the cross. See, because you stand before God with a debt that you cannot hope to pay for how you haven't given him his due as your lover and creator and how you haven't loved others as you should. And because of this, there is a debt. But unlike the hospital situation, right, where it wasn't my fault, in this case, it is our fault. And so there are two ways to make that debt go away. Either God has you absorb the debt, or he absorbs it. That's what he did. God sent his son, his only son, to pay the debt, to be cut off from God so that you don't have to be. Why? Because all love, real love, is substitutionary sacrifice. That's who God is. And when you, when you see and taste what God did for you, you, it's no longer how much do I have to give, but how much do I get to give? And I tell you this story about what happened with the hospital bill, not because the, the bill got erased. So there were still many times after that we had bills that didn't get erased. The point is, do I understand more of God's mercy and grace because mainly through him working through my wife to challenge me, we kept giving even when we didn't feel like we could? Yeah, I do. And I want the same for you guys. When you see what God did in Jesus... He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for you, how much more with him will he not give you all things? Come what may, come cancer, come losing a loved one, come financial hardship, God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So let's finish with some applications because you don't change until you change. So, first, for, for any of you who are in here who are not tithing, just tithe. Like, there are some things in God's word you don't 
ask. You, you just do it. Just do it. And here's why. One, does God need your money? No, but he does use your money to accomplish real things. I shared a couple of examples earlier. But number two, it is one of the ways to joy and freedom. So I, I promise you, I promise you because God promises it. Just do it for six months. Just do it for six months and see if you miss it. See if you don't have more freedom. See if you don't have more joy. See if you don't taste God's provision more. See if you're not tithing, just tithe. And I say this out of love. For those of you who, who do tithe already, so here's what I want to challenge you with based on looking at this text. What Paul is saying is, if, you aren't giving a, if, if you're not giving to the point where it really costs you, for some people that is 10%, but for a lot of us, it's 10% doesn't really cost, then it's not a fragrant offering because that, that, that was Christ's sacrifice. And so my encouragement to you all is if, if you're tithing, great, thank you. Over this next year, see if you can give 2 3 or 4% more. It's an internal investment. You will not, you're not going to get to heaven and say, I wish I didn't give it. Just do it. Because if you're already tithing, just consider, how can I give even a little bit more, 2 3 4%, okay, so that I can bring life to others? And then finally, number three, so generosity comes in different currencies, right? So one is money. That's what Paul is talking about tonight. But uh, we, there are a lot of generous givers in this church. So if you are giving generously, thank you. Please giving generously. But for all of you, regardless of your financial situation, how much you're giving, consider, am I being generous in the other areas of my life? Because in, in this area, one of the, I mean, sometimes as much as money, if not more, one of the most powerful currencies is time. I know a lot of you all in your community groups are going through Gospel Comes with a House Key, right, where it talks about actually opening up your evenings and your living space to invite others in. So some, I'm just going to be honest. Some of you guys get home way too late from work, so you're not there for your family, or you, you'll miss something like community group because of it, or you, you don't open up your living space to invite your neighbors over, to have other people um, in the church over. So be generous with your time. Leave work at a, a reasonable hour to be home, and be present with others. Because by doing that, by sacrificing right, some of yourself to bring life to others, God will use that in extraordinary ways. Right? Because my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We cannot know the riches of his love until all on the altar we lay, as one hymn says. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for how wealthy and generous you are and how much you gave to us in Jesus, Father. And I pray that all of us in here will, if not for the first time, again, taste the joy of being freed by giving to others, sacrificing some of ourselves so that others can live. Um, help us to steward the money that you've given each of us well. And above all, Lord, may Christ be more beautiful to us today than he was when we woke up this morning so that uh, we can give in all ways to others in our lives as you first gave to us. It's in the name of Jesus, our risen and most high king, we pray. Amen.